Welcome to Inspiring People and Places, where we interview national leaders in the architectural, engineering, construction, and development industry in an effort to educate, innovate, and inspire industry professionals to disrupt the status quo, improve their project teams, and steward public and private investments more effectively. I'm your host, BJ Kramer, President and CEO of MCFA. Allow me to introduce today's guest. Wally Heiss, welcome to Inspiring People and Places. Thank you, BJ. How's your day going? It's it's going great, and it just got Good. better. Uh, I've never had a bad conversation with Wally. Uh, Wally and I have known each other just about a year. We were introduced by uh, our mutual friend, Matt Handel, and uh, we kind of hit it off, Wally. So let's start the show how we start all shows telling the audience a little bit about Wally Heiss's journey through the AEC career path. Fantastic. Well, my background is engineering, but I'm a marketer. So like if you look at my bio, I consider myself a right-brained engineer. So I I offer you that just for context. Um, Because like many people, I've been around this industry for 35 years. I kind of came up through the ranks, right? Um, Got out of school, took a job with uh, an environmental consultancy, actually. So this was 1985. And if you think about timing, um, you know, the environmental field was really just taken off at that time, right? You know, EPA had been formed, REC was in place, Circle is getting legs. And so much like today with our infrastructure market just booming, you know, yep. um, it was a very similar situation mid 80s with the environmental field. Um, so I happened to get in with just a really great firm, Radiant Corporation at the time, um, you know, became an engineer and, uh, and started uh, understanding environmental regulations, RECRA, CERCLA, all that sort of stuff. I kind of quickly became an expert at, at um, various facets of Part B permitting, you know, incinerators and tanks and lagoons and all that sort of stuff. Who, who Somehow, were your, who was like your client base at the time? Oh, yeah. Um, it was mostly industrial, actually. Okay. Um, so I was in Austin, Texas, and you know, along the Texas Gulf Coast, lots of industry, um, and then elsewhere, too. Um, and then somehow I got interested in, and we had some opportunities for me to work on projects um, around groundwater remediation. So most of the client base there was refineries and rail yards. Um, and one of the big problems was... Um, uh, fuel leaking down into the groundwater, light aqueous phase, uh, non-aqueous phase liquids, LNAPLs, they call them. So you'd have this floating product on top of groundwater. So that was kind of my start in groundwater remediation. Um, and, and I kind of developed my technical expertise there. Um, and then along the way, you know, I was good with clients. So I started managing projects. Um, you know, became a project manager, then became a program manager. And pretty early in my career, around year eight, um, I moved from Austin, Texas to Salt Lake City to take on a really big assignment. Um, We had won a contract that was um, needing some real love and attention. (laughs) Um, And I can get to that later. Is this still uh, Radiant Corporation? Still Radiant, yes. Um, so moved up here to basically take over a contract, a client relationship, build an office, manage staff, and just kind of got thrown into it. Um, I asked for it. So, you know, it wasn't like uh, I was volunteered for it, but 
uh, pretty awesome experience. And, you know, being able to run a major program at a young age certainly came with um, successes and failures. And uh, that has a lot to do with um, with kind of my path. And then somewhere in the, you know, mid 90s time frame, I really kind of switched from project management, project delivery to marketing business development. Um, at the time, we didn't call it business development. You know, it was just going hanging out with clients and uh, writing proposals and bringing in new work. So that was a really nice run for about 15 years until uh, the time when we started to see mergers and acquisitions ramp up. Radian's bought by Dames and Moore, Dames and Moore's bought by URS, all that funny stuff, you know? And I said, uh, you know, tap, I'm out. Um, so went to work with a small business, um, an 8A company here in Salt Lake City, mostly on the... Um, construction, environmental remediation side, design build, you know, we had in-house workforces, roofers and electricians and all that sort of stuff. So I got a good introduction to contracting and construction. Um, lasted a couple years. I, I was an independent consultant, um, worked for a firm called Miller Hyman, and um, I was doing sales training, <clears throat> kind of running all across the country, um, working with industries from, oh gosh, you know, um, financial institutions to retail, to staffing, to engineering. Oh, wow. Just really a broad Very diverse spectrum. sales training. Yeah. Yeah. Really neat. And that's when I learned sales is sales. And if you got a process, it fits in my company now and it fits in many other companies. So that was a, a really cool experience for me. And it kind of, you know, that was really the sales training, sales, hardcore sales stuff um, and, and loads of great information that kind of helped form how I approach stuff that I do today. Um, then I worked for a company, Shaw, um, which had grown by acquisition. It was right after they bought IT Corporation, Stone and Webster, and just kind of putting together this mishmash of stuff. Yeah. Um, and so I was responsible for sales and marketing on the federal side there. You know, I, I gravitated to the federal client base um, when I moved to Salt Lake City. And, and we were doing mega projects. Shaw was a Fortune 500 publicly traded company. Um, we were doing really large base operations contracts, emergency management, um, huge jobs with FEMA, um, Hurricane Katrina response right around that time. You know, 2005, we were involved in that. Um, Shaw was a big EPC contractor, power, um, that kind of stuff. And then finally, um, about 14 years ago, I found my way to HDR via some uh, really good friends who were here at the time. Both of them are gone now, but they were clients of mine way back in the day, you know, when I was a project manager. And uh, I got a phone call one day. I was thinking, ah, I got to get out of this big company and uh, sure enough, my buddy Craig called me, hey, would you ever consider, you know, kind of back, back to our conversation a moment ago, BJ. Uh, and the timing was right and the opportunity was good. And, and so, you know, I've been um, running marketing business development for our federal program here um, for the last 12-ish years. Uh, Successfully, I might add, if, if for those of you keeping score, HDR is winning stuff all over the place. I'm sure you've got your, I'm sure you've got your failures out there, but from yeah. my perspective, there's a, there's a lot of winning going on. Thank you. Thank you, BJ. And it, it's an awesome company. 
And, and so, you know, part of, part of my varied background is um, the types of services I've touched, you know, everything from straight up AE to construction, to base operations and emergency management, you know, different kind of firms from independent consultant to small business to fortune 500 publicly traded. Now we're an employee owned company. This is employee ownership month. Um, and, and, you know, I've really found my home here at HDR and the cool thing is I get to apply all of this great stuff I've learned for the last gulp 35 plus years. You know, <laughs> I've been doing this for a while. Um, and it's just, it, it's really neat to be able to, um, you know, my boss gives me a lot of freedom and flexibility. I work with just awesome people here. I got a team that um, is just the best that I've managed in this business. And um, so it's it's kind of been a fun run for the last, you know, decade or so. And uh, yeah, that's how I got to where I am. That's awesome. Well, I have two follow-up questions and, and they may be tied together because it, it's been a while since we've had a guest. Early on, I felt like I had a couple of guests in, in a row and it certainly applied to my experience that had kind of this mega project experience early on in their career that, you know, shifted the perspective and, and, you know, ramped up the skills by necessity, right? Uh, kind of yep. the, the crucible, if you will. But then I'm also curious how much that may have played into, you know, do I jump from project engineering and project management to business development and marketing? Was it a moment or was it kind of just a natural progression for you? Um, it, it was progressing and it was shifting and, you know, kind of morphing just like, like the progression from engineer to project manager to program manager and stuff like that. But, um, there, there was really one instance that, that caused me to just pause and say, I like doing this better than that. And it was, um, while I was with Radian, moved up to Salt Lake city and, and, uh, me and a friend went out and we sold a big job and, and I'm talking like this was a four or $5 million job back in 19 mid 19s, uh, nineties, which, you know, you equate to today's dollar. It was, a, it was a big job. It's real money. And it was real, real <laughs> money. And it was, uh, permitting a brand new hazardous waste incinerator out in the West desert here in, uh, outside of Salt Lake city. And, um, so I was kind of the client guy and, you know, project manager. And then I had a really strong technical guy with me. Well, I thought that really strong technical guy could manage the project and the client. And I took my eyes off of it because I had a really big contract up at Hill Air Force Base um, that I was responsible for a relationship and a lot of other things. And I took my eye off the ball and uh, and things started going south. Um, so I had a visit with uh, one of our senior VPs at the time, David Balfour, made a special trip up to Salt Lake City. And we went out and visited the client and talked about um, how we were not going to recover several hundred thousand dollars in um, fees that we had expended. I was absolutely convinced that as we're driving out to visit the client, I was going to get fired. You know, it was just one of those moments. And <clears throat> fortunately, it was a forgiving company and, and, um, a, a real learning experience. And, and it was right around that time that I realized I don't want to run jobs. I loved going out and winning that job. And that was 
oh man, it felt so good. Right. You know, but then running the job was just really mundane, you know, and I lost interest. And as a result, kind of put my company a little bit at risk. Um, you know, overall, we didn't, again, it was a huge job and we were incredible multipliers. So we made a bunch of money, but we wrote off a pretty significant amount, you know, larger than many of our projects are today from an yeah. A&E fee standpoint. And, um, and that taught me that, like I just said, I, I love doing this. I really don't like doing that. Um, not that I didn't do it well, I just didn't have much interest in it. And that, that was kind of a big pivot for me. I, so there's, I mean, two leadership lessons that, I mean, are, are highlighted there. And I want to get some to, to some leadership lessons you may have experienced or some, some wounds outside of these. But there's a story about Andrew Carnegie. Somebody comes in to, uh, to the boardroom and says, Mr. Carnegie, I'm sorry to report, you know, this, this, and this went wrong and, and we've lost a million dollars. Everybody overhears it. He says, thanks. We'll, uh, we'll catch up later. And the board says to him, that guy just lost us a million dollars or, or whatever the figure was. Why didn't you just fire him? He said, because I just spent a million dollars training him, <laughs> right? <laughs> Mistakes are how we learn. Mistakes are how we grow. Uh, I, you know, did, did it really happen? I don't know. Is it a true story? Who knows? But, um, I, you know, I, I try to remind myself of that story because I could not have become who I am without making mistakes and without leaders not overreacting when I made mistakes. Uh, so sounds like you are who you are today because of that moment. And then the self-awareness to, to say like, Hey, this is what I really enjoy. So I'm going to pursue that. I feel that in the engineering community, there's this pressure to, to kind of stay seller doer, technical path. You know, you got to do a little bit of everything. Um, talk to us about self-awareness in, in that circumstance and, and your ability to kind of pursue the enjoyable stuff. Yeah, I, I, I consider myself to be fortunate. You know, you talk about um, leaders who don't overreact. You know, mentors played a huge part. Um, you know, my boss at the time, not the guy who flew up that I was terrified of, but, you know, helping <laughs> me through those situations. Um, and so I, I've been fortunate, um, you know, in that circumstance where I am now to have leaders, have mentors who are fully on board with finding what people are really good at doing and letting them do it, you know? And, yeah. um, and you just excel, you know, there's a commercial on TV now, I forget who it's for, but you know, when you, when you do what you love, you, you'll never work a day in your life. Right. And, and I truly love what I do and I work my butt off, um, and I work hard and I do work, you know, capital W, <laughs> Um, but it, it's really gratifying, um, fulfilling and, and, and I can endure those long days and weekends and time away from home because I am doing what I love. Yeah. And, and, and again, just very fortunate, you know, I've probably had three awesome bosses in my life, including the one that I have right now. And they've all given me something a little bit different, but each one of them has given me one thing in common and that is freedom. You know, freedom to, and, and now the freedom is capital F, you know, before it was freedom with a, you know, a little bit in a box. Right. Um, but, but opportunity to explore and to kind of find what I love doing. 
So talk to us about that because you've you've been led by some talented people, it sounds like, and you're leading, like you you open with, you're leading a pretty spectacular group of people. So talk to us about some of your leadership challenges, leadership lessons learned uh, throughout your career that have served you. Um, yeah, so one one of them, um, I, and I'll go back to a specific instance, and I, I think this will help answer the question a little bit. Um, when I, when I took over this contract, moved up to Salt Lake City, which is where I live now, um, it, it, was, uh, it, was a, it was a contract in just dire need of management, right? The guy who moved up here to take over the contract really had no interest in running the job, kind of like the situation I just shared <laughs> with you, right? You know, so he was like, I'm out of here. And, and I come into a situation where we had a lot of work, um, you know, we were understaffed. We we had project managers who weren't taking care of things like accounts receivable. I had never done accounts receivable stuff before. You know, we were failing on a couple of projects. We had client relationship issues. Um, and it was really a turnaround situation. Um, and I think, you know, one of the biggest things that got me through that was leaning on people and my team, you know, because we had a lot of talented people and they were all, um, you know, ambitious and, and well-meaning and all those good attributes. You know, we just needed some leadership, somebody to come in, pull all those pieces together. And I, and I remember there was one day, it, it was an afternoon, I was talking to one of my best friends in Austin at the time. He was working for me. He stayed in Austin. I had moved up here. And I remember saying to him, you know, Mark, we were just talking, great friends, right? And, and I was reflecting on the situation that I found myself in. And I said, Mark, no one ever told me it was going to be this hard. <laughs> and, and, I, and I literally, I, I can feel the emotions now, you know, it's like welling up and I'm leaning back in my chair and I'm looking out the window because I had this great corner office with a view of the Wasatch Mountains. And I'm literally just going like, what did I get myself into? Like nobody said, Hey, get ready for this. You're going to need to know yeah. X, Y, and Z, you know? And, um, and then it was really just taking the whole, um, bringing the whole company to bear on, on this client, the situation, the opportunity, you know, bringing in people from Raleigh, Durham, North Carolina, from Oak Ridge, Tennessee, from Southern California to help us, um, do the work that we had and market new work and really expand um, what we were doing. And, and it was all about the end goal of winning the recompete contract, establishing a permanent presence here. And, you know, so it was day after day, week after week, but ultimately um, setting ourselves up to be successful, to keep that contract. And ultimately that's what we did. And, and I think that, you know, the leadership piece to me was it wasn't an individual effort. It was <clears throat> it was having the um, maybe awareness that I can't do all this stuff, but we got a ton of talented, really smart people. How do I get them involved in the program, show the client that we can do this as a team, as a company and just really bring all that stuff in? And it was all about perseverance. You yeah. know? I mean, it was a terrible situation, but I learned a heck of a lot. I don't know. I, I, Hopefully that answered your question. It, it does. And I, I think that's a great example for, for anybody that's in a tough situation right now is on the other side of, of challenge or, or on the other side of failure or on the other side of the obstacle is 
you know, a better, smarter, faster team or individual. Um, and, and I don't know anybody that's grown either strong or grown fast without taking on those next challenges and continuing yeah. to get outside of the comfort zone. Uh, so I think that answers the uh, right on the money. Inspiring People in Places is brought to you by MCFA. MCFA is a CVE-verified, service-disabled, veteran-owned small business. At MCFA, our why is to inspire people in places through project leadership. We provide planning, strategy, program management, and construction management support services to a wide variety of public and private sector clients. Moving into some rapid-fire questions, if you don't mind. Sure. Uh, you're in Salt Lake City. Uh, so I, I believe you have some outdoor interests, but, uh, anything outside of the office, um, uh, that you're passionate about or involved in? Yeah. So of, of course, you know, I live in the greatest snow on earth as it says on the <laughs> license plates. Right. Um, and, and you know, people say, Oh, so you must go up to, and they'll name all the skiers. I'm like, yeah, I'm not a skier. You know, I, I, I grew up in northeastern New Jersey, not too far from where you are, BJ, yeah. you know, and, and I remember as a young kid going down the icy slopes and just, you know, skiing <laughs> in the northeast was terrible, right? Hunter Mountain and Camp Gone, all these places. And it was like, oh, God, I don't want to ski. It's, it's Ice horrible, skating right? on skis. Yeah. And so when I moved up here, actually, um, we had our, our son, um, oldest of two, was nine months old. So I didn't really, it wasn't like I could just leave my wife and kid behind to go out and learn how to ski or, you know, have fun. So, um, I sold my motorcycle and we, we put a second bathroom in our house uh, that we had bought here. And then fast forward, you know, like I got to have a motorcycle cause I pretty much grew up on, uh, the back of my brother's motorcycles when I was a kid, um, you know. And so I love riding my motorcycle. Um, that's really what I do. My wife was giving me a hard time last weekend. You know, that darn motorcycle is taking <laughs> up room in the garage. You know, I wouldn't even use all the colorful words. And, um, and, and I said, you know what? If I ride it for, you know, a day, um, two hours, one hour, I really get a lot of enjoyment out of it, regardless of how much I use it in a season. Um, so that's kind of my passion and my real love outside of work. Um, it, it, it puts me in a great spot. And, and it's kind of funny, you know, when you think about riding motorcycles, cause you can ride with a group of people, but you're still kind of alone, right. you know, cause we don't have like the communications and the helmets and all that sort of stuff. So you're really by yourself with a group of people. Sounds kind of like an oxymoron, <laughs> um, but it's fun. And uh, that's one of the things I really love doing or, you know, hanging out with, uh, with my wife and daughter, you know, watching next Netflix series and stuff like that. Right. Any, any Netflix series you would recommend right now? Oh my gosh. We're just, we're watching one called Dahmer, oh. about Jeffrey Dahmer. You know, it's, uh, it, it, it's interesting that, gosh, there are so many of them. Um, yeah, that, that's the one that we're working on right now. All right. Uh, you know, uh, Dexter was an awesome one. Um, uh, Ray Donovan, you know, those are like Showtime, HBO, that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. City Good on a stuff. Hill, Kevin Bacon right now. What was that know? one? City on a Hill. Oh, I haven't uh, heard that one. Based in Boston, really good. I think it's like season three. Yeah, so the, you know, those are the fun things we like to do. All right. I know it's kind of in work, but talk to us about the society. I'm going to screw it up if I say it. Okay. Society of Marketing Professional Services. You got it exactly right. Yes. Um, yeah. Involvement there and, and, and what it's done for your career. 
Um, yeah, so SMPS, um, I've been a member for probably 18 years or so going on. Um, and I got involved early, like 2005, I think was the first conference I went to. And, and at the time I was um, writing articles for some of these um, think tank consultancy things, WIG White, uh, PSMJ, they've been around the industry for a while. And, uh, and I got involved in SMPS, went to several conferences and I was, you know, kind of a gung-ho active member. And then I love going to the annual conference, but it costs a lot of money. And, and I spoke a couple times early on and, and, um, and I reached a point of enlightenment or arrogance. I'm not sure which, but I was kind of <laughs> like, uh, you know, Hey, if you're not going to, um, pay for me to go to the conference and speak, I'm not going to go. Right. I wasn't one of the insiders. Um, there are a lot of fellows in the society. You have to be a certified professional, um, CPSM certified professional marketing services person, right? Like, like I have a PE, um, so I'm not certified and uh, I wasn't part of the in crowd. So I took a hiatus um, from SMPS for a while until I could figure out a way to um, really leverage my expertise, my knowledge. It's one of the things I love to do is share uh, like 30 plus years of experience. You know, if I can, if I can help you, if I can help accelerate to your DNA, you know, yep. if I can help someone else accelerate their career by sharing my knowledge uh, that's a win-win for me. It makes me feel good. It helps them out. And so I, I figured out how to meet the right people and find the right topics. And um, and I started volunteering. You know, I've done the Seller Doer Symposium. Um, we had that going for a number of years. Um, so since about 2015, I've really been active again. Um, 2020, I um, uh, was the conference chair for the annual uh, build business it was at the time that was interesting because we were planning a conference and then COVID hit <laughs> and we had to replan a conference and then we had to plan a virtual conference. Um, you know, you talk about leadership and, and adversity and that's right. And that it was your stuff. next crucible. Yeah, another one of those experiences. Yes. Um, so I, I think I've kind of found a home there. I have some really great friends. Um, I, I'm not, unfortunately involved a lot at the local level because I travel a lot. So I can't right. go to local chapter activities, um, but I'm involved with the headquarters. You know, I volunteer as much as I can um, on committees um, on the editorial board of the marketer magazine. Now gave a presentation, um, uh, an offshoot of what I shared with you, BJ, several months ago on habits, uh, business development habits and, kind of hatching my plan for next year's conference and, and my abstract and thought. Um, I, so, I highly yeah, recommend I the habits uh, class. If, is there a recording that people can, uh, can go by? Oh, gosh, I'm not sure. Um, I, I, I did a, a condensed version half hour session just on habits uh, at the, at the conference in July and, and it was fun. So one of my habits is talking to strangers. So that's my, that's my next topic foreshadowing. That's, I like it. Yeah. Uh, favorite quotes and why? Oh gosh. Um, I got a bunch of them on the whiteboard behind me. I was wondering here, what was actually. in the clouds. Yeah. 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 The, well, one of the clouds is the most important thing in communication is hearing what isn't said. That's oh. Peter Drucker. Uh, that, that's an awesome quote. I got several of them up here. Um, a Wally Heist quote, because I do proposals a lot. And as one of my old bosses used to say, um, you're trying to cram 10 pounds of flour in a five pound sack, 
right? That's what writing a proposal is all about. You got this much information, you got to put it in this many pages. And so one of my quotes is, don't tell them everything, tell them what's important. Mm. Um, so that's a fun one. Uh, my boss shared something with me recently. I think he attributed it to um, Warren Buffett. I'm not sure if that's true or not, but he said the most effective people know how to do one thing really well, and that is say no. I've I've also heard that attributed to Warren Buffett. Okay, so all right. I'll well, validate that. At least at least urban legend says. So. Yeah. And it's so hard to do. And, and I just had to do it recently with a friend of mine here at HDR. And he asked me to do some seller doer training for his team. And I'm like, oh, yeah, sounds great. You know, a bunch of guys in a in a huge house up in Estes Park, a little, you know, Colorado, right? A, a little, you know, male getaway fly fishing. And hey, why don't you come up and do some training? Oh, my gosh. And at first I committed. And then with ample notice, I had to say, um, Lionel, I just can't do this. I'm really sorry. We'll f- I'll find another way to help your guys, to help your team, but I can't, I can't take that much time out of this really busy schedule that I've got right now to kind of go play, you know, um, much as it's very, very tempting. So saying no is hard, but, you know, I just went through a situation. I was talking to one of my uh, folks this morning and uh, we had a, a proposal review. And several of us were really disappointed that people who we thought were going to review the proposal kind of didn't show up, you know? Yeah. And uh, what I shared with Molly this morning is I would rather you tell me no and I'll go out and find a replacement than to say yes and don't show up. Yeah. Or yes and do it a half-baked job. I'd much rather hear no and be prepared for that and say, hey, that's fine. I understand it. You know, schedules don't work out. I'll make a different arrangement. And then I think everybody is better off. You know, I don't get mad. You don't feel bad. And uh, we still get the job done. So again, I got to pull out some lessons learned. All right. Renegotiating commitments, right? When you have to say you can renegotiate commitments. So especially if you give enough time or if there's, you know, enough reason, you can renegotiate commitments. I'm a believer. So, so I came to an entrepreneurial firm that was, you know, very small and my job as a BD guy was to say yes to everything, right? It was like, because it was exploratory and you couldn't say no to a relationship because the firm needed it. Um, and I think, you know, the earlier you are in your individual growth or your company's growth, the more you have to just kind of say yes and then distill out to, to your point, you know, highest and best use of my time versus highest and best use of somebody else's time and delegation and, and empowering people. There's so much in the, that. And I mean, we do have so much coming at us between, you know, a hundred emails to deal with and, you know, a hundred opportunities to deal with and a hundred chances to go to happy hours or golf outings or whatever. It's, and, and that's just at work. Right. And then yeah, you have yeah, right. your, your home commitments. I'm, I'm in New York right now trying to get on a train to, to get back for my son's football practice. It's, it's a juggling act. Um, so I, I can absolutely appreciate that. And, and I am, um, there's a couple of books. The one thing is by, I'm uh, forgetting his name right now. Um, and then the other one is essentialism. And okay. I think, 
they're they're both quality books and that leads me to to a okay. my next question must read books by wally oh gosh um I was a book junkie early on, 90s, early 2000s, you know, read them all. Um, a lot of people know Good to Great. Um, you know, one of the, uh, an earlier work uh, of his was Built to Last. You know, I got a bookshelf full of them, right? Yep. Um, yeah, the Discipline of Market Leaders, um, you know, Excellence in Leadership. Um, oh my gosh, there were so many. And then I went through a phase, probably like 10 years or so of, nobody's writing new business stuff, you know? <clears throat> and, uh, and I got frustrated. I, I, I would half read books. I have so many half read books, you know, and then finally I donate them, right. You know, take them to the goodwill, right. I'm not, I'm not just not going to finish it. And then, and then, uh, so recently a couple of really good reads for me, um, atomic habits, right. Mm. You know, to the, to the webinar that I did and some of the things that we've shared about habits and good BD habits, atomic habits, great book. Um, one of my habits is talking to strangers, as, as I mentioned before. And so, uh, you know, I, I, I do that a lot. I'm a BD guy. Right. And uh, and then suddenly I'm reading an article, one of my habits, you know, every morning when I'm doing my reading and I come across this article about talking to strangers. Sure enough, somebody's written a book, The Power of Strangers. I'm like, I, you know, so I reference it in my in my presentation. I got to go out and read it so I can say whether it's good or not. And, and reading that book taught me something that I had never known for the last 30 years. And that is, you don't have to read the whole book cover to cover. <laughs> and, and, and if you don't like it at the end of the second or third chapter, it doesn't mean you have to donate it to Goodwill. It means you get to fast forward, right? Just like we do with a webinar or, or a podcast like this. Hey, I'm not really interested in what he's saying. So you go forward, you know? And, and I finally learned how to skim a business book after this many years of reading. Um, and I could tell you the chapters and the pages that are perfect in that book. Um, and, and so, you know, I learned something new. <laughs> I love it. Dead or alive, if you could hang out with three people for a day, who would they be? What would you do? Oh, gosh. I, I, um, I'm going to go with dead people, not to be morose or anything. But, um, uh, you know, top of my list would be my mom. Um, she died uh, when I was fairly young. My parents died when I was young. Uh, my mom, when I was a freshman in high school, so technically I, I was an orphan, you know, wow. um, under the custody of my oldest brother. <clears throat> and so I, um, I have so many things that I, that I will share with people. I'll say, well, as my mom used to say, you know, <clears throat> dollars to donuts, whatever the phrase is, you know, the, the expression around my house is, oh, grandma heist, right? And, you know, that's what my wife will say. Um, so many things that, that, uh, that she taught me. And I think, I think, you know, if I could spend time with her now, she'd just be really proud of what I've, what I've done, what I've been able to accomplish. You know, all of it wasn't stellar, stellar but uh, I think, you know, in large part, uh, uh, done pretty well, and I would make her proud, and I would love to see a smile on her face as I shared some of those experiences with her. So, top of my list, mom. You know, it's pretty powerful. You know, going back in time, uh, I'm, a, I'm an engineer, right? I'm a marketer. Um, I talk a lot about innovation and ingenuity. So, people like um, Benjamin Franklin, right? You know. Um, he was a he was a writer. He was a statesman and a diplomat. He was an inventor. Um, you know, he was so many things, right? 
um, Ulysses S. Grant. I was up in uh, Saratoga Springs, right? Mm -hmm. uh, visiting my sister-in-law this summer. And I went to uh, Grant's cabin where Grant went to literally die and write his memoir. I have a book, um, Ulysses S. Grant, you know, leadership lessons from Ulysses S. Grant. It's another good one on my bookshelf. Um, you know, and he was rough and tumbled, you know, civil war army vet, um, you know, who rose to lead our country and then be a diplomat and a statesman. You know, if you want to go even farther back in time, that was three. I didn't have Grant on my list originally. Somebody like Da Vinci, you know, I got oh. another book on my bookshelf, <clears throat> how to think like Leonardo Da Vinci, right? You know, he's, a uh, He's an engineer and a scientist. He's a um, he's a theorist and a and a sculptor and a painter, right? He's that he's he's me. He's left brain and right brain, except yeah. I can't draw or sculpt. Right? <laughs> you know, I, I could learn so much from him. <laughs> so I, uh, those are the kind of people I'd hang out with. I think I love it. And to close us out, anything you want to share with our audience? Anything you want to share with the industry? We've got everybody from college, recent college grads up to senior professionals. Uh, what would you like to share with them? Yeah. So, um, I'm all about, um, personal development, professional development. Um, I push myself constantly. Right. And, um, we're, we're coming up on performance review time, goal setting. Right. And, um, and, and one of my goals that has been a goal for, a number of years now uh, and it violates all of the um, goal setting things you know my goal is to be the best at what I do and it, it's a qualitative goal and mm -hmm. I learned this from Miller Hyman and large account management um, program and and setting a qualitative goal <clears throat> that um, I myself don't get to judge when it has been achieved or not. So think about this, you know, to be known as the best at what I do, right? And what I do is business development and pursuits and proposals. BJ, you, um, our audience gets to decide when Wally is the best at what he does, right? I can do a whole lot of things, but that's what causes me to be visible and out there with clients, with organizations like SNPS to constantly be pushing the bar, you know, ingenuity, innovation. And so when people say, hey, get Wally's opinion, you know, hey, Wally's one of the best or something like that. Um, it's an odd goal. It's a goal that I'll never attain or I'll achieve it for a little while, but you can always, you're always chasing it, you know? Yep. Um, so that's all about development. And I push, you know, my people to, to do the same thing. My, my latest is the difference between innovation and ingenuity. You know, innovation a lot of times is a stepwise function. Ingenuity is almost like, you know, innovation is doing things differently. Ingenuity is doing different things. Um, so I, I work on myself and I, I like to work with our people. I guess that would be one thing to share. I, you know, I'm a big fan of, uh, of your Friday afternoon postings, BJ. <laughs> I, I look forward to them. And, uh, and you shared something with us maybe two, three weeks ago. And it was the story um, and, you know, kind of the punchline was, how can I help you? Right. Five words. How can I help you? And, um, and I was going to write you a note, but I thought, you know what? I got a podcast coming up and I'm, I'm just going to share this with BJ and, and many others, hopefully. Um, 
back in the day, you know, we subscribed to Miller Hyman and David Meister and all these, you know, um, kind of management gurus at the time, mid nineties. And how can I help you was a big thing, right? You know, you always ask your clients, how can I help you? Hmm. And then there was one point in time and I can't remember who or exactly when, but they took that and they flipped it around and they said, you know, when you ask somebody, how can I help you? You put them on the spot to come up with an answer, right? So if you're the client and I say, how can I help you? How many times have you asked that question and, and the response is, ah, I can't think of anything right now. Ah, thanks for the offer, BJ, nothing right now. You do a little tweak to that. And here's the five words that will change you. Would it help you if? Hmm. Would it help you if? So instead of how can I help you question mark and you push it back to the other person to come up with an idea, would it help you if dot, dot, dot. And then the onus is on me, you know, BJ, would it help you if I did a session with, uh, with your team to talk about seller doer stuff? You know, we talked about an opportunity at one of the uh, DOE labs, you know, BJ, would it help you if I introduced Kristen to Nate Martin or DOE, right? Right. So the burden is on me to come up with that suggestion. And then, you know, it's really easy if you say, how can I help you? And they say, I can't think of anything right now. Conversation ends. You move on, right? Would it help you if I introduced um, Kristen to Nate Martin? Well, you know, yeah, that would be good. Or would it help you if, and you say, no, not really, but I tell you what would help. Right. right. You know, and then it keeps that conversation alive. It, Five every, words. That, I love that because it, it reminds me of uh, somebody once told me, if you ask people, where do you want to go to lunch? Everybody's like, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. And if you start out by saying, hey, anybody want to go to McDonald's for lunch? Everybody will say, no. Well, where do you want right. to go then? Right. And it just uh, yep, gets the, exactly. keeps the conversation open and, and going uh, yes. and gets a reaction. I, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. So that, I, I guess that's, um, that would be some something advice. I don't know if you want to call it advice it's, or an it's idea wisdom. It's or wisdom. something to build on. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that, that might be my parting shot unless you got any other questions, BJ. No, Wally, uh, as always, I've enjoyed this conversation. I think our audience will as well. Thank you for always being a friend uh, and for everything you're doing at HDR. And until next time, everybody have a great week and a great weekend. Hey, everybody. If you're enjoying this show, do us a favor and subscribe to Inspiring People and Places on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast hosting platform. We'd also greatly appreciate if you left us a review and shared this with other entrepreneurial public servants and all your friends and family in the AEC space. Be sure to visit our website, www.mcfaglobal.com. Sign up for our newsletter to stay in touch with us and learn about all of the projects and clients we're helping. Last but not least, we are hiring. We are always hiring. Do us a favor. Take a look at what jobs we have open. Contact us through our website or connect with me on LinkedIn. Until next time, have a great rest of your week and a great weekend.